If you go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, where I provided a handout for you, but you're welcome to take notes however you choose to do that. Um, This is Dealing with Divisiveness, Part 3. Dealing with Divisiveness, Part 3. And uh, I taught Part 1, and Craig carried on with Part 2, and now here we are with part three. When it comes to where we're at with this book, we know that the theme is correction and condemnation. Paul has reminded them that they are in Christ, that they are saints, that they have been set apart, and as saints they are to live holy as God, their Father, is holy. There are divisions, there is sin, there are difficulties within this church, and he's trying to chastise them, but also build them up at the same time. And then we get to verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, for the word of cross, uh, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. Great way to win over your audience. Not many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen what? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not. So that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, for those of us that are in you, it is not because of us. It is your calling and your drawing and your sovereign election. So we have no means to boast. We have no means to brag or to rely upon our own wisdom. That means we give you the glory and that we submit to you in your plan. And in the church, may we deal with divisiveness by having one mind, and that is the mind of Christ. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. How does this passage fit into the greater context of the book? Well, one commentator, David Garland, says the argument about God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom 
may seem to have nothing to do with the Corinthian dispute, but Paul is covertly undermining the Corinthian party spirit. The Corinthian party spirit. Remember, to, to Greeks, wisdom was, was everything, right? And Corinth is a Greek city. Another commentator, Lampy, writes, applying both general thoughts to the specific issue, one arrives at the following conclusion. Either the wisdom of the apostles is a human quality and therefore a reason for praising them. But since it's human, it's also bound to perish. Or the wisdom of the apostles is exclusively a spiritual gift from God, justifying God alone as the object of praise. In both cases, the way is obstructed for praising apostles. You don't praise the apostle, you praise the one who sent him. You don't say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter. You say, we are all one in Jesus Christ. And the Greek culture is something a little harder for us to, to understand. Our culture is more, uh, you know, flash in the pan, tick be really type of things. But they like to, to sit around and talk about wisdom and truth. And is there truth? Is there not truth? And how do you know? And who's smarter than who? And they had these different kind of schools and you would go to these schools and that's your mentor. And that's who you were of. And they would get together and do weird nerdy things like debate one another on random stuff. And I'm not saying that if you're in debate that you're a nerd. But that's what they love, right? That was their, their pastime. And so Paul is going to get inside their skin and he's going to address them at their level. In their own way. And what we will do today is we are going to use a courtroom scene. And my first outline point is Paul's first witness. Paul's first witness. And I know that this is Craig's passage and Craig did a great job. I'm just going to organize it a little bit different because I, I'm looking at the broad scope of briefly verse 18 through 25. But then the rest of the time will be verse 26 through chapter 2 verse 5. And in this courtroom scene where Paul is making an argument, where he is stating his case, he says, I first call to the stand the crucified Christ. And so Paul's first witness, and then I have a clever little arrow, and it says the crucified Christ. The crucified Christ. You have problems within your church, the, the, the rich people are over here and the poor people are down here and, and these people are doing this and I have the gift of tongues and I've got the gift of helps and so am I better than you or are you better than me and I want to be a teacher but I can't be a teacher and he's saying look let's all come together and I want you to stop using your own wisdom I want you to stop doing that your 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 parents can kind of sympathize with the situation because often they're trying to get you to stop using your own wisdom and to rely on theirs. And I know you throw at the, Dad, you just don't know. You've never been there. As if he was not a teenager. 
as if your mom hasn't done some of the same things that you have been through. But, but, but I get it. We as parents, we make mistakes sometimes. We don't always make the best choices. But overall, they're trying to guide you with the word and they're trying to help you. But sometimes it's like, no, 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 I know, I, I know my own way. I know my own way. Well, Paul's saying, look, stop relying on your own way anymore and come together in Christ to convince you I will call the crucified Christ to the stand. Verse 18, for the word of the cross. The word of the cross. That Jesus, the Son of God, would allow himself to be nailed to a cross. And we know that the cross was an embarrassing way. An embarrassing way to die. And it was a cruel way to die. And you would suffocate over time. And God submitted his son to this. And his son gladly went to the cross because he knew that it would save us. But we see that the cross is A, it is foolishness to the unbeliever. It is foolishness to the unbeliever. For the word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing. So the argument against the cross for the unbeliever is it doesn't make sense or they don't believe it. That's because they're dead in their sins. They're perishing. So it is foolishness to those that are perishing. Christ said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Clearly, he told them what it meant to be saved and how to get saved. And now the Greek looks at it and says, well, the dead guy? That's the one I come to? The one who died on the cross? He wasn't even powerful enough to save himself. Remember how they were mocking Jesus? If you are Lord, come down from the cross. Well, he didn't come down because he knew that's how he was going to save us. But the world looks at the cross and says, your Savior lost. He lost. They killed him. So it's foolishness to him, to them. But to us be, it is the power of God to the believer. It is the power of God to the believer. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 24 says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. To the believer, the cross is everything. I owed a debt that I could not pay he paid the debt that he did not owe. Those were my nails. That was my cross. And he took it for me. And then he rose from the dead, displaying the power of God. And it is the power of God to those who are believing. See, the word of the cross is God's device to expose the foolishness of the world's wisdom is God's device to expose the foolishness of the world's wisdom. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy 
the wisdom of the wise. And the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. It's in Isaiah. How? How, how, how is he going to destroy the wisdom of the wise? Well, look, if the world was going to get in the lab and create a savior, the world would never come up with the plan that the savior would die on the cross. That the savior would, remember Israel, they thought Jesus was there to do what? Deliver them from the Romans. And when he kept telling them, I'm not here to deliver you from the Romans, I'm here to die, then people are like, well, then why, what am I following you for? Why would I do that? It is foolishness. And this foolishness exposes the foolishness of the world's wisdom. And there are four questions to display God's superiority in verse 20. Where is the wise man? Think of this. Remember when uh, Job questioned God and was kind of wrestling with God? And, and God answered Job out of the whirlwind. And, and he, a answered Job question, he asked Job a question. How did Job respond? No, I'm good. Mm -mm. So God's like, okay, well, uh, so where's your wise man? Bring him on up. Because Paul has called the crucified Christ to the stand. Uh, where's, your, uh, where's your witness to... Oh, yeah. They're nothing compared to God. They're nothing compared to Christ. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And the answer is yes. And then there's one statement to display God's sovereignty in verse 21. It says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Well pleased. If this is true, why would we not trust his wisdom? We're not smart enough to save ourselves. We can't come up with a plan to save ourselves. We don't have to. God did. And so if we as Christians and if the church at Corinth say, we get it. We get it. God was right. The crucified Christ is right. Well, then why in every single aspect of your life do you not go back to it? Go back to it and do things Christ's way. The second witness is found in verse 26. The converted Corinthians. The converted Corinthians. So we had the first witness is the crucified Christ. We now call the converted Corinthians to the stand and they're like, hey, that's us. Yeah, that is you. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Hey. Wait. Wait a minute. Dad. Talking about, you're talking about me, right? And it's not just the church at Corinth. He's also talking about us, right? So we have A, who they were not. <laughs> they were not wise. I don't know if I gave you sub points here. Okay, they were not wise. They were not mighty. And they were not noble. How to win friends and influence people. 
I want you to consider your calling. And I, I think that's healthy for you to right now to think through, okay? If you are in Christ, you did not choose Christ. We remember Ephesians 1 and 4, that God chose you from eternity past. He predestined you to adoption. We know from the book of John how he calls and he draws us unto himself. He gives us the repentance and faith that we need. And we are now his children. When he looked at you, he didn't say, wow, there's a little bit of good in that person. That's what Disney would teach you. Wow, you know what? If I could just get that one saved. I, I've, I've thought of that before where I've, I've known someone that's a, a hard-hearted unbeliever that's smart and influential. And I'm like, wow, if God would just save them, think of the impact that person would have. And you can play that game with athletes or celebrities. And you think, wow, what about, okay, apparently Taylor Swift is a big deal. Okay, I don't really... I don't know if I could name any of her songs, but I think the followers are called Swifties or something like that, okay? All right, there's maybe some of you hiding in here. All right, oh, this was hilarious. So, side note, in one of my uh, pastoral ministry classes, Austin Duncan is at Grace Church and he's hilarious, all right? And he was like, you know, it reminds me of that, 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 that Justin Bieber song. It, and it had something about this. And one of the guy goes, oh, this one? And he said the name and he goes, got you, Bieberite. Right, Bieberite, he knew the name. It, it was awesome, okay? Well, think of Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber, or whoever the kids listen to these days. Recognize their sin and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and faithfully served. Now, there have been times that prominent athletes and prominent musicians have professed Christ. And unfortunately, a lot of times people just grab them and they parade them up and they let them teach in their church and they're doing all these things and they really haven't come to know the Lord, but they also haven't had time to grow in maturity. And so they kind of use and abuse them instead of take them and disciple them. But look, your life and your impact is just as miraculous. Sometimes people will say, oh, you know, I'm like, hey, can you share your testimony? And they're like, well, it's, it's not that special. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They're thinking that they had to say, yeah, I was strung out on crack for four years. And, you know, God, da, da, da. no, 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 no. Okay. You were dead. Absolutely dead. And all you wanted to do was feed the flesh and sin. And God stepped in and radically changed you and saved you. That's amazing. And what Paul is reminding he, you here, you and I were not wise. The smartest person you can imagine, they simply are a fool. Wisdom here is forming the best plans and using the best means for their execution. Which is another way of saying knowing and doing. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior in his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Those who are prideful and they are puffed up about their knowledge are not 
gentle. Are not gentle. They are they're mean. They are condescending. They look down on others. And Paul is saying, you have no, you have no one to look down on. There are not many of you that are wise according to the flesh. And notice in verse 19, the wisdom of the wise. Verse 20, where is the wise? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God. Verse 22, Gre- Greek search for wisdom. On and on and on. Chapter 3, verse 18. He keeps going on with this. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. We think we're smart enough to hide our sin before God. We think we're smart enough to save ourselves. After the flood, the people were commanded to populate, to spread out and populate. And what did they decide to do instead? To build a tower. To reach heaven. Yeah. Nice try on that one, guys. And that was their pride. To reach to God. And God simply scatters them by changing their languages. That was the best we had to offer. And we didn't even get close. We are not wise. So where do I get wisdom? I didn't have it. But now I do. Because I simply do what God says. And so when you're in a disagreement with someone... Or maybe you dress differently than someone. Or maybe you go to a different school than someone. Or you like a sport. Or you like debate. Or you like art. Or you like crafts. Or whatever it is. Any differences can be overcome by the cross. And if someone offends me. I use the word of God to restore that relationship. And if I offend someone. I use the word of God to simply restore that relationship. But we are also not mighty, able, powerful, strong, influential. We see this in Mark 9, 23. Jesus said to him, if you can, remember saying, Jesus, if you can do this. And he says, whoa, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Acts 7, 22. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. He was a man of power in words and deeds. He became mighty because of the Holy Spirit, because of God. Acts 25, 5, the same word is used. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. If there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. So influential, mighty, all right? That's the type of guy that we're thinking of. Before Christ, that's not you. After Christ, because you've received the Holy Spirit, then you can do mighty things. Then you can be influential. Then you can be strong and you can be powerful. So the smart, smart, and the mighty, mighty, and the influential ain't none of you. And none of you were noble. Now, it is true that there are people that are kings and rulers. You think of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king. God humbled him and he placed his faith in God. Uh, queen of Sheba. She was a noble. She was a queen, right? Well, he's speaking specifically to, the, to this church that 
none of you were well-born or of a noble family. Well-born or of a noble family here. Look, you... You got... Okay? You guys are like the C team, all right? If that. So I've called you up to the stand. You're all uh, quibbling and bickering. And you ain't hot stuff. Let's look B, why God chose them. Verse 27. Because you're like, wow, did, did he see some potential in me? I, I, I know that I'm not wise. I know that I'm not strong. I know that I am not noble. Uh, but maybe, maybe he saw something in me, okay? But God has chosen Yes, chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Pretty. Okay. Yeah. God chose you to show his wisdom and to show that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. That's why he chose you. The word shame means to dishonor, to disgrace. God is going to put the world to shame by choosing sinners, lost sheep who can't get out of their own way to be his followers, to be his followers. Romans 9.33, just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Luke 13. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. There's our word. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over the, all the glorious things being done. So this woman who had gone through this terrible situation, Christ used her to humiliate the opponents. And there's other times where Jesus would commend a Gentile. He would say, look, in all of Israel, is there no one with the faith of this Gentile? And the Jews were like, because they looked down on the Gentiles. Well, we aren't anything. He chose us to shame the wise, and he chose us, secondly, to shame the mighty. God has chosen the weak things of the world, us, to shame the things which are strong. And you think of the Sermon on the Mount, the meek, the gentle will inherit the earth. Well, how do, how do we get that? It's through the Holy Spirit. And he didn't pick us because we were super strong and we could conquer nations on our own. He picked us because we were helpless. And I mentioned sheep earlier, right? Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. What kind of defense mechanism does a sheep have? They act dead. Which if you think of it, if I'm a wolf and I go up to you and you lay down and act like you're dead, I'm like, dead or alive, you're still delicious. <laughs> you, just made, you just made my job easier. 
thank you for not running. Okay? And what are we? We're the, we're the, we're the sheep. We're the sheep. To shame the noble. He chose them to shame the wise, to shame the mighty, to shame the noble. Verse 28. And the base things of the world and the despised. Okay, it's, we're not noble, we're not royalty, we're the base things. We are the despised. Those are the ones that God collected. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Base things means ignoble. Opposite of noble. It means cowardly. It means uh, of no family. Low born. You're, you're the peasant. I'm the peasant of this world. But he chose me. I hope that gives you a great appreciation for God and what he's done. Because deep down I think we all think we got a little hot stuff in us. But then I, I, I internalize this. And why is Paul saying it? God is everything, and God is special, and he wants me to fall in line and submit to his plan for the church. And if we all come at this together, as I am a redeemed sinner, bought by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm going to come together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm going to set aside my selfishness, and I'm going to set aside my wisdom, and I'm going to do it Christ's way, and you're going to do it Christ's way, then man... Bada bing, bada boom. We can accomplish much. We can do much. See on your outline who they are now. Who they are now. Verse 30. But by his doing. Who's doing? His doing. You are in Christ Jesus. Don't let that phrase falls short in Christ Jesus. I'm one of his children. I'm one of his followers. I'm one of his servants. He calls his servants his friends. I am in his kingdom. I am in the Lord's army. I am in Christ. Satan can never snatch me away. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So because I'm in Christ, I get access to this awesomeness. I now have wisdom that comes from God. The creator of the world. Why are you right, Christian? Why should we do things your way? Um... Because God said so? Well, well, who's God? I don't know, the creator and owner of everything. And if he so choose, he could smite that bell that's ringing. All right, good. Good. Not saying that God did that, all right? But there's no more bell. And righteousness, okay? Left to myself, I would be declared guilty... 
But now I am declared right because Christ on the cross, he lived a perfect life. His bank account was brimming over with righteousness. And when he dies on the cross and I place my faith in him, I die to self, I raise anew, and he took my penalty and he gave me his righteousness. So don't let the world look down on you because you have the righteousness of Christ. But we don't take that knowledge and let it puff us up. We give the glory back to God. We give the glory back to God. And sanctification, we know that, being set apart. And redemption, you'll talk more about that in the, the main service coming up. Being bought by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Are you seeing that come up over and over again? Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. I, I appreciate people that are encouragers. I appreciate that. And what I want to do is that when people say, hey, you're doing a good job or this or that, look, I, I know my heart. I know where I fail. And I want to just quickly turn, turn it to the Lord, knowing that left to my own self, I would accomplish nothing. And I think we all need to focus on that, okay? Thirdly, we have Paul's third witness, the called communicator. Not a bad lineup here, okay? First, I'd like to call the crucified Christ to the stand, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Next, I would like to call you to the stand, Corinthians, so that you may indict yourself. You can't take the fifth on this one because America isn't here yet and there is no taking the fifth. But now, Paul calls himself to the stand. And when I came to you, brethren, we see A, Paul's presentation, and B, Paul's preaching. A, Paul's presentation, and B, Paul's preaching. When I came to you, brethren, this reminds me of uh, a book. I don't know if you've ever read, uh, read John MacArthur's 12 Ordinary Men. And it is a, it's not that old movie about the jury thing, which was like 12 Angry Men or something like that. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the same thing. But it goes through each one of the 12 disciples. And again, look, he didn't go and get the rich people. Who did he go ask to be his followers to carry on his message? Okay, what was Matthew? I heard it over here. Tax collector. You know what? They love them some tax collectors. <laughs> Those are some great people. Honor, integrity. Now remember the tax collector worked for the Romans who they hated. And they collected from the Jews. But often they would say, hey look, you owe $5,000 in taxes. And they would take the $5,000 and they would go to the Roman government and they would say, here's the $3,000 they owed you. Cha-ching. And they knew that. I mean, they, they knew that. The tax collectors, were the, they were the scum between their toes. And that's Matthew. So imagine Jesus when he's up there teaching 
And they're like, I know that dude. He ripped me off. A tax collector. And you know what? If you're going to start a world empire, you want to go ahead and get some fishermen. Because you never know, a big fish might jump out and attack you. And you need some dudes that can reel that baby in. Fishermen. Are you kidding me? Fishermen. But, I mean, why did he, why did he choose them? He chose the foolish of the world. We would go get the soldier. We would go get the ruler. We'd go get the king. We'd go get the, you know, the rich people. No, it's not what Jesus did. You think of Paul. Are you kidding me? I need someone to take my message to the Gentiles. I am going to choose the guy who hates the Gentiles the most. I'm going to choose Paul, who persecuted Christians and had them arrested. And they were executed. Why, though? The, the, the conversion is so radical. And you know that when Paul first came around and he was like, hey, uh, hey guys, God, God chose me. I'm here to serve. What did people do? Well, are you kidding me? Hey, wolf. We can see through the sheep's clothing. But then he had to have people go, no, 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 really, really. He's not here to kill you. He's here to preach the gospel. So he uses himself on the witness stand. And in his presentation, he says, when I came to you, brethren, he first of all mentions his, his stage presence. His stage presence. I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Look, I didn't have all of these like clever nuances and articulations and you know, that type of thing. Some get crippled because they can't remember how many original manuscripts we have of the New Testament or something like that. Like you feel like, man, I don't have the entire Bible memorized so I can't share the gospel. Like I know we have that gospel track, but I can't remember all of the, quite the stuff. Mm, so I'm just not going to say anything. And Paul's like, look at my example. I, I, ju I just came. I just came and I taught. I didn't have superiority of speech or of wisdom. I just simply came proclaiming the testimony of God. But you see his singular focus in verse 2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What amazing determination. That's all. That's all. I want you to come to Jesus and then I want you to follow Jesus as best as you can. That's why he's there. 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And so what did he do? He preached Christ. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. I, I have seen and I have read the documentation of the churches around down the street. And they say the way you package the gospel... The conversion of the unbeliever is dependent upon the way that you package and present the gospel. If that's the case, no one's getting saved. It's a simple message, isn't it? 
And God uses the simple message to save, to call and to draw. It's not up to you. It's not up to Paul. And he knew that, so he just came. But he had this singular focus. Do you have that focus? Where's your focus? What are you determined on? Unbelievers, are you, are you focused on sharing the gospel with them? Believers, are you focused on using those relationships for the glory of God to build up others? And then he mentions his shortcomings. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Weakness and fear and much trembling. And you know, there's 1 Corinthians, right? And there is repentance and growth after this. So I'm going to spoil the end of the book. But then why in the world is there 2 Corinthians? In 2 Corinthians, it is a defense of Paul's apostleship. So some of his dissenters took stuff like this and go, Ha! I told you that, Paul. He admitted weakness, fear, trembling. Why would we follow him? And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.10, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and speech contemptible. Paul wasn't there to show how awesome and smart and eloquent he was. He simply wanted to preach Christ and he acknowledged his shortcomings. He acknowledged them. B is Paul's preaching. He goes on to say, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. You think of the man born blind. Just became a believer. And they were pestering. And when they were asking him, and he says, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I'm saved. Christian, all you know is you were dead in your sins. You repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you are saved. That simple message could save a sibling. Could save a loved one. Could save a classmate. Could save a teammate. But we go, mm, mm. It's a simple message. It says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. And this is an awesome passage. It all just comes together. Look, when I came, I didn't trick you into Christ. I didn't give you this amazing PowerPoint presentation. And you came to Christ to demonstrate his power, the folly of the world, and the wisdom of God. In conclusion, I want you to understand that our salvation was not of our own doing, but of God's choosing. Our salvation was not our own doing, but God's choosing. And the implication from that truth, this isn't number two, okay, this is a subpoint to the point. Our confidence is in Christ. Our confidence is in Christ. When you uh, play a sport or practice an instrument, you get better because you practice. 
you lift, you run, you endure, right? We grow, we're saved, we grow because of Christ. And so therefore, that's our confidence. B, or secondly, our evangelism does not depend upon us, but upon God. Our evangelism does not depend upon us, but upon God. So we as a church who is fulfilling the Great Commission to bring the gospel to the world and then to train and to disciple, we are unified and united because we all realize we ain't nothing without Jesus. And he's given us everything. And in love and appreciation of him, we live with one mind to further his kingdom for his glory and not our own. Let's pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, what a beautiful passage this is. And I pray that we would take the truths and we would apply them to our own heart and our own life. I pray for the unbeliever that they would see what they're missing out on, that they would realize that they are still a fool, that they are still base, that they are still weak. And they would come to the cross and receive what we have received in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. For those of us that are believers, may we dwell in unity and promote and foster it be a light in a dark world and further your kingdom by sharing your truth. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.